Good morning, folks. Welcome back to our series on trying to find out God's will for our lives. I hope that as we have been going through this series that you begin to realise that discovering God's will for your life is not nearly as magical or mysterious as what some people maybe make it out to be. My goal is to stop you from being that person who tries to find God's will by just opening and pointing somewhere at a random uh, page. I'm not saying God doesn't sometimes work that way. I'm saying he maybe preferred to take a more measured approach to his divine message to us. Imagine someone on the verge of a breakdown and looking for comfort and turning to John 13. And instead of finding a reason to live and go on, they read Jesus telling Judas, whatever you're going to do, go do it quickly. That's not how you find God's will. Nor do I want you to be like the man who was on a diet over lockdown and while working at home, all he did was talk about um, his diet to his friends and co-workers and all the rest of it. Then this week, it was his first week back in the office and he came in carrying a huge victorious sponge covered in fresh cream and strawberries and his co-workers look at him going, I thought you were on this diet. You've shut, not shut up about this diet this whole time. He says, oh, well, I'm on the diet, but this is God's will for me today. I was driving uh, in today and I was going past Needs Bakery. Now, other bakeries are available, but no other bakeries are recommended. But uh, the man says, I saw this beautiful cake in the window. And so I prayed, Lord, if you want me to have that cake, there'll be a parking space ready right outside Need Bakery. And the man says, sure enough. It only took me driving around uh, the town eight times and there was that parking space. That's not how to find God's will. God tells us in his word what his will is and yet so many of us struggle to trust him to reveal it to us or we struggle to believe that we could actually be in the middle of his will right now. This is so often because we trust him for the eternal. We know he wants to bring us home to heaven. We've no problems there but we wonder about the right spouse or the right house or the right job. But look, if he can do the eternal, he can certainly do the temporary and he can lead us and show us if we're willing to be led. And if we are prepared to take our eyes off the things that we want and, and uh, put them where he, he wants to guide us. And so what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that God's will is not really about the job title or your address, but who you are. It's about our character, our attitude, our witness, wherever we are, whoever we're with. So regardless of where our lives may take us, uh, wherever in the globe we may be, whatever period of history you could be in, God's people are maybe going to be superficially different, but we're going to be fundamentally consistent across the globe, across history, because of who we are like. So far in this series, we've seen that God's will for his people are that we are to be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submitted to government authority, well, today, it's a bit more encouraging. We're going to talk about being satisfied. In 1 Thessalonians 5, right at the end of the book, Paul fires out a couple of bullet points that deals with the internal character of a Christian. Verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All those things, all of what we just said are God's will for you right now. And uh, maybe those previous messages maybe talk more about goals to achieve, the long goal of what God wants for us, to, to be holy, to seek after justice. That that just, you don't take that in a box and say, okay, that's what happened today. Those, those are maybe long-term goals over a lifetime. We say, yes, that's what I strive for. That's what I sought after. And while we pursue those goals, and we rightly do, right now, rejoice. Right now, 
pray right now today be thankful and so again we're going to see god's will is an inside job it's about our attitude towards whoever and whatever we're facing wherever that may be and when you look at these commands they're really straightforward in terms of commands rejoice pray be thankful so what we're going to see is these can be done by anyone anywhere at any time they're not for the spiritual elite this is for everyone so we need to stop with this assumption that God's will is some abstract thing that needs to be sought out and to be found as if it was hiding behind a tree or under a rock. And if we just looked in the right place, we'll find it. It may not be difficult. It may not even be very different from what you are doing already. Maybe what needs to change is how we approach it, who we do it for. Maybe if we did it with joy and thanksgiving and prayer, we might see the world slightly differently. I can't think much more of a godly calling than to forge a godly home in our neighbourhoods. To be a godly parent in a world that's determined to cheapen the life of a child with our recent votes in the Lord's. To be a godly friend in a society that would rather you turn to drink or pills instead of to God. Being a godly wife, mother, being a godly husband, father. Could there be a greater honour or calling in someone's life? I mean, that's not abstract. I mean, even we've got so many people in the church tied in with the NHS and care homes and you're telling me that what they've been doing over the last four months hasn't been amazing? That that's not a calling? So Paul wants to encourage this church in Thessalonica and ourselves that it's possible to be living out God's will right here, right now. And that's something that can be accessed and found because he simply says, Paul is saying, we're to rejoice. We get that. But it doesn't always sit quite right. Always? I mean, I see some Christians walking around the place and you think, I don't think they've ever smiled. Never mind rejoiced. But the other is, should we always have these big stupid grins on our face 24-7? I hate those people. I don't like them. I want to punch their big stupid faces. So, we'll have to sort of pick through this. Where, where's the balance here between seeking to be holy and reverent, but also joyful and rejoicing? See, the language here is that it's a command. Rejoice always. So Paul is calling us here, not, not to just a silly smile, but to a peace that exists in us regardless of our circumstances. Ah, we well, see, but Jeff, I come to your church and I look around and there's people crying whenever we're singing songs or they're crying whenever you're putting their trust in Christ. It doesn't look like there's an awful lot of happiness there. Well, those are tears of joy. Maybe because it's just the end of the sermon. I don't know. But no, honestly, it's joy. When we think of the love of God towards us, we think of Christ and his sacrifice. We think of his devotion and commitment to us, of his faithfulness in the face of our faithlessness. We are overwhelmed with the joy that comes from being anchored in him. And the, the joy of that overwhelms us and the tears come. Jesus himself said, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the, ha or happy are those who mourn. 
See, when we mourn our sin and our imperfections and, and we grieve over them, we find comfort in who he is. And so we weep with joy that he is faithful still to us. Unsafe people don't have this kind of anchor to hold on to. They don't have this joy. They depend on circumstances to make them happy, for everything to be lined up to make them happen. But for the Christian, even when we mess up, we have a God who still loves us. And so we still have a reason to rejoice. It's why we can say that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because when we feel like failures, when we feel like and we know that we've let ourselves down, his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness picks us up again. So because of who we are in him, regardless of what's going on around us, we can rejoice always. You know, the world promises so much happiness and we're bombarded daily in social media with people faking their best life. Yet 300 people a year in our country, in Northern Ireland, commit suicide. 300 people a year since 2010. That's been the average. That's double what it was in the mid-90s. The most recent data that I could find for the UK was 2018. And it said that in that one year, 6,507 people committed suicide across the UK. It's in a high in 35 years. Yet our society promises happiness and tries to fake looking happy, but it's not lasting. People are sad, people are depressed, people are stressed. And any joy that we'll have is temporary and circumstantial. But as a Christian, we can rejoice always, not with a stupid grin, always hyped up, or even unmoved by the world around us. We're not immune to tragedy. We're not immune to sadness. But we have this inner peace. In spite of the storms around us, we can rest. We can smile. We can sleep well at night knowing our God is in control. Paul proved this in 2 Corinthians 6. When he said in verse 4, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, gone without food, dropped down to verse 8. We're treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul never demanded us to be happy because of our circumstances. He wasn't happy about his beatings and what people were doing to him. But despite the circumstances, he trusted God and he could say, we still have plenty to be rejoicing about. So, okay, so it's never, yay, cancer, I'm so happy. No, but as we go through that cancer, we can say, Lord, thank you for your presence here with me. Lord, thank you for my husband, for my wife, for my children and for their support. Lord, thank you for the church around me. Lord, thank you that I'm not doing this by myself. Paul in this passage is saying to the Thessalonians that there is an inward peace despite outer circumstances. And that's why he told the Corinthians about all those trials. He's not anchoring himself in the circumstances, but it's a choice to rejoice. It's a strange command though. Always be happy. Why make such a command? I can only assume that it is because it's a choice. Not, it's not always the automatic response though when, it's, when things are going wrong and it's a 
tough set of circumstances for whatever reason. But if God is calling us to it, then it must be a choice. And if it's a choice, then we can learn to make that choice. We can learn this response, even if it doesn't come automatically. Paul himself, when he was in uh, writing to the Philippians, he was in prison. And in chapter four, he says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice, for I have learned in whatever circumstances to be content. So either he's a nut job and crazy, or he has learned what to do in these circumstances that doesn't come naturally to the rest of us. And so many of these things can nibble away our joy. Like, like a plague of locusts, it's like death by a thousand little bites, just nibble, 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 nibble. Look, we can't always put our finger on it, but we look back and we say, I've been robbed of my joy here in this. Circumstances, a, a job, a bad boss, a bad mind, it can steal our joy. People can steal our joy. You know, it's, it's funny how you can be in great form one minute and having a really good day. And then one person can say something and just gets under your skin and just, just knocks the wind out of your seals. Or, or from personal experience, stupid drivers. Like people on the motorway who insist driving in the fast lane at 50 miles an hour. Or people who refuse to use indicators or, you know, even just don't acknowledge you whenever you let them out at a junction. And there's more serious things, of course, that can steal our joy, but you get the idea. So rejoice always is a command, but it's also a great advertisement. An authentic joy in a Christian is, is a great advertisement for Christ. There's a lightness, a joy whenever someone is around us and it's infectious. And yet the reverse is true. How bad an advertisement is a Christian who's pessimistic and bringing people down and cynical all the time. You'd almost prefer that they just didn't tell anyone that they were saved. No one would believe them anyway. And you know the ones. They only speak up whenever they want to complain. I didn't like that song that day. It was too warm in church today. Well, I was too cold. The sermon was too long. It's a bit like the man who was out for a drive with his wife and the car was a bit, was dirty. So he pulled into a power station and he needed to refuel. The car was, was beside. So when he refueled, he drove over and said, listen, look, do a good job. Windscreen's filthy. After the young lad had uh, finished, uh, the old man complained. He says, do you not know how to clean a windscreen? Do it again. Boy didn't say anything. Did the windows and all again. And you get the old man and goes, are you thick? Do you not know how to clean windows here? And just as he was saying that, his wife uh, leaned over, lifted off his glasses, gave him a bit of a clean and put them back on his nose again. And what do you know? All the marks were gone. It's amazing how our outlook can colour the world around us. Remember the Philippian jailer? Paul and Silas were in prison and at midnight, what did they do? They started singing praises to God. They were rejoicing. So much so that God shook the jail with an earthquake and the jailer runs in and asks them, what must I do to be saved? There was something about seeing these men rejoice despite the circumstances that made this man think, I need this. Proverbs tells us that a merry heart is good medicine. If anything, as Christians, we need to laugh more. I wonder, does joy radiate through your home? In your marriage, is there laughter and joy? When you talk to your kids and as stressful as it is trying to homeschool, is there joy? Your friendships. When people w walk in and see you there, it's like, oh good, there's, it's going to be a good shift. There's going to be fun in the office today. It's going to be good. Because this person who says they're a Christian just brings joy. 
They say that laughter has a profound impact on our health, that it alleviates stress and tension and exercises the vital organs. Are you a Christian who can laugh freely and readily with people? Can you bring a smile to the face of others? Or do you bring people down? Cynicism, the spoiled sport attitude. What's the will of God for you today? Rejoice always. Then Paul goes on and says, look, pray without ceasing. And I think this is linked in with rejoicing always, because if you're always rejoicing, that may have something to do with the fact that you're praying without ceasing. You see, when your outlook is often determined by your uplook to God, if you keep looking up and handing things over to him, to our great big God, you'll be more able to rest and rejoice in him so much easier because your outlook's going to be different. So often the Christians that burn out have stopped looking up because they've stopped handing everything over to him, including their outlook on life. But a heart full of joy needs to be a heart free of burdens. That's why Peter says we have to cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. We often talk about casting our cares. We did a message on it at the start of the Running on Empty series. And yet so often we say, yes, well, I've got to do that. I'm going to do that. And then, well, for a few days later, we're happy enough. And then we don't see anything happening because we want instant results. And we tend to go back then to God and pick them up again and says, look, God, if you don't mind, you don't seem to be doing anything about this. So I'm just going ahead and do it because at least whenever I'm playing around with it, it feels like something's happening. So I might as well try because if you need to do anything, you might as well do it yourself. Best example of this is Sarah in Genesis. She was told she'd have a son. She laughed at God for saying that because of her age. She got impatient. She turned to Abraham and said, look, let's just do this ourselves. There's Hagar. Go have a son with her. And it was like the old song. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So pray without ceasing. But again, like the call to rejoice always, are we expected to literally never stop praying? Well, again, no, it's physically impossible to pray nonstop. In fact, one of our problems in prayer, I think, is that we talk too much and don't listen enough to God. And it even goes against what Jesus says about prayer in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, don't babble on like the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered by repeating their words again and again and again. So it's so easy to get in the habit of repeating the same old phrases because we have a routine. Our prayer become habitual. But I think it's an attitude thing. That prayer... It is something that is continually reoccurring in our lives rather than constantly occurring. It's something that we can learn to do instinctively throughout the day, not just on Sundays, not just at mealtimes. Lord, watch over me as a drive. Keep me focused on time. Lord, be with me in this Zoom call. Help me to stay focused on the agenda. Lord, give me words to encourage my friend as I'm about to ring them. Simple as that. Just wee phrases as you go. Be in the habit. And that's really what we're talking about here this morning. Habits of regularly praying. God is listening. The devil is lurking. That's why we're told be sober, be vigilant. Because the devil, like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Do you remember Joshua 9? Joshua was conned by the Gibeonites. Uh, they, they came in and pretended that they were from far away. Make a peace treaty with us. And they kind of got hurried into it. because And 
because Joshua didn't take the time to pray, they got conned by them. David did pray before fighting the Philistines. Imagine if he hadn't though. It would have meant his defeat if he, if he had gone out presumptuously or at the wrong time with the wrong stuff. There's no saying that the devil will carve even when the weakest Christian is on his knees. You're more powerful than you imagine when you pray and you hand it over to our great big God. Max Mikado famously said, Our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Let's go on to verse 18 here. And Paul says, Here is God's will for your life today. Choose to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Hand that burden over to the one who's bigger than you all the time. Everything. Just keep handing it over. And he says, and give thanks to God in all circumstances. I suppose this is really a combination of the first two things. It's living with appreciation. Yet all the statistics show that out of all the things Christians pray about, thanksgiving is way down the list. We'll pray for help, for guidance. We'll pray for forgiveness. And much like the 10 lepers who came to Christ for healing, we'll go running to him when we need him. We'll come running to him whenever there's tricky situations and it's difficult and it's hard and we don't know what to do. But then, like the ten leopards, we, we kind of forget about um, all the stuff that's been going on and, and we get caught up in everything else. We forget. We forget to go back and say thank you. And yet the Psalms often call us to spend time thanking God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Paul often started so many of his letters to the church by saying, I thank God for you. I thank him for every memory, for every remembrance of you. And when he spoke to Colossians, he said, look, whatever you do and everything you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do or say, it should have this attitude of thanks to what God has done. Pay attention to that first one, First Thessalonians. He doesn't say give thanks for everything. That's absurd. But he does say give thanks in everything. And that is a big difference. So again, it's not, yay, cancer. Thank you, Lord. That's crazy. Some things we should not be thankful for. We should never say, Lord, thank you for this sin of mine. Lord, thank you for this battle of addiction that I fight every day. Lord, thank you for racism and bitterness. Thank you for that person who holds a grudge against me for a reason that I can't fathom. No, that's not the attitude. But rather, despite our circumstances of health or relationships or temptation, we should still be a people who praise God. He is sovereign. He is good and he does not waste his children's tears. And so he's doing something in this moment. What you're going through is not in vain. And so we say, Lord, thank you for using me, for using this lowest moment of my life, the lowest point of my marriage, the lowest point that I can think of. Lord, thank you that you are still God and you make all things work together for your good and glorious name. Thank you that you're weaving together the threads of my life with meaning that everything you do is on purpose. I can't keep saying the word Thanksgiving without thinking about the American holiday in November. But the truth of it is those pilgrims back in those early days didn't have it easy. They reckon that for they had to dig seven graves for every one house that they built. 
Yet those early settlers made sure that despite everything that was going on, the hardship and the grief and the difficulties of those early days in the new world, they set aside a day to be thankful. It's not always easy being thankful. I, I know it's easier to complain. And very often when we hear a person complain, we'll laugh because, well, my circumstances are worse. You know, it's normally about how much work someone has had to do or who's the most tired because you notice that. Usually, unless you're the most tired, you've got no right to talk about how tired you are. It's very a very coveted title in some houses. Well, I'm the most tired. Oh, well, that's okay then. I'm not tired at all then. If you're the most tired. Sometimes it's just easier to get in a habit of complaining. And so we do complain. But actually instead, God says, like, I want you to be people who bear with those who are weak. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who weep. There, there are times whenever we don't always feel like giving God thanks. You think, Jeff, I really just can't find a single thing to be thankful for in this entire thing. No, but you can give thanks to God in that moment. I'm in it, Lord. And I thank you for my life. I thank you for my salvation. I thank you for my assurance. I thank you that this world is not my home. That this is not all that I have to look forward to. I thank you that there is coming a day when the tears will be wiped away from my eyes. That there'll be no more sickness and no more heartache and no more death and fear or darkness or suffering. And faith is going to give way to sight. So why should I thank him? <laughs> because he says so. It should be enough <laughs> in one sense. He says, but... For this is God's will for you, who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you remember the story of Corrie Tempum? Corrie and her sister Betsy were part of a Dutch family sent to the Nazi concentration camp in Ravensbrück because they were hiding Jews in, in their house. Uh, there's a film about their, sto their story called uh, The Hiding Place. There they made Corrie and Betsy stay in one of the worst places imaginable. It was dark, damp, overcrowded, covered with fleas and vermin. And one morning, Betsy was reading a Bible that she'd smuggled in, and her reading was this text. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. And she went to her sister and said, here, Corey, I've discovered God's will for us in this place. We need to rejoice. We need to pray. We need to give thanks. And Corey's reaction would have been the same as any of ours. No, there's no way I'm giving thanks to God for being here. But, but Corey, the Bible says we must. And so they began to have prayer meetings, Bible studies, times of singing in the barracks of a concentration camp. And then we found out months later that the reason they were able to do that was because the guards refused to go near that barracks because it was so dirty and flea infested. They had the freedom to sing and minister and read and kept their spirits up during a difficult time they discovered that in everything they could give thanks. Paul says, this is the will of God for your life right now. In this moment, today, rejoice, pray, be thankful. This is where it begins, folks. Start here. The outward stuff will come then as the habits form. The will of God doesn't have to be weird and mystical, but really has a more, more to do with the attitude that you approach each day. That inner attitude that radiates a trust in God with an outlook that is anchored in your outlook. For no matter the circumstances, God wants us to have hearts full of joy, hearts lifted of burdens and hearts radiating with appreciation. Start by making a choice. How are you going to start today? How are you going to start tomorrow? By saying, Lord, I'm handing it all over to you.
I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose casting my burdens on you. And I'm going to choose to express my thankfulness as often as I can. And so, folks, I'm going to just leave us with you. Let's pray and then we'll finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, your will for us is not simply about uh, this heavy burden of going and, and sharing a message with the world that it doesn't want to hear. But Lord, that we are to be people who are characterized by, by the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And Lord, we thank you for these traits as, as they start to manifest in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, we would be able, even in, in, in a lockdown still and in frustration and so many things that we don't know of what's going to happen next, Lord, that we can still rejoice, that we still have a reason to be thankful, Lord, that there are still um, things that we can pray about and come to a God who wants to hear from us and wants to speak to us and wants to encourage us. And so, Lord, I pray, help us in the private place. Lord, help us in the inside to not just look like it on the outside, but, Lord, that we would really be like you in everything that we do. And so, Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.